Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 to 45. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what will be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And the days of those kings, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. You guys still there? <laughs> All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll go into the message. Um, God, we thank you so much for this time. And we thank you that in the midst of this season, your word tells us that we have living hope. So I pray that, God, you would heal people who are sick at this moment. 
that you will put your hand on them and restore their bodies and strengthen their hearts. I pray for people who are going through a time of impatience because of all of the monotony that um, has been a mark of our lives the last six weeks. I pray that you would fill us with supernatural patience. I pray for those of us who are starting to despair that you would fill our hearts with hope by looking above and keeping our eyes fixed on you. Help us to know where our hope truly comes from. And lastly, Lord, I just pray that as we listen to the message today, you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this passage is really long, and it's really strange, and it's really weird. There's all these kingdoms, there's all these medals, there's all these mysterious symbols. But when you boil it down, the main message is pretty simple. And the message is this. God speaks. He speaks now through his word. He speaks through technology. He speaks through the service. And he's been speaking to us throughout this pandemic and ever since it began. And truth be told, he was probably speaking to us even before then, too. Now, before we started sheltering in place, it was hard to hear him because there was so much other noise around us. The subway train rumbling to a stop, people yelling and chatting with no regard for the auditory health of the people around them. And there were also so many other voices that were drowning his out. People working under us asking kind of dumb questions, people above us making unrealistic demands, our phones hoovering our attention and pointing us towards overstated headlines, manicured pictures, incessant conversation, not to mention people we actually care about trying to get a hold of us via text or email. So much has changed these last few weeks. And you'd figure that without having to commute, we'd be in a better position to hear what God is saying. But from my own life, I know that that's not true. These last six weeks have been like the moment when you're out with a group of people and everyone stops talking all at once and somebody or something has to fill in that empty space. And I think for many of us, that empty space is being filled with whatever, but it's not being filled with God's voice. And it's just as hard to hear him as it was before this whole thing began. In this season, this passage is an encouragement that God still speaks. And if we hear him, we'll receive rock solid hope and hope in an uncertain time. Now, Jen and I have a very verbal daughter, Arlo, and since this pandemic started, she picked up a lot of new words, words like sanitizer and word like non-negotiable, as in the sentence, we have to wash our hands, it's a non-negotiable. And one of the downsides of having a very verbal daughter is that she does not like it when she's not included in the conversation. So sometimes over a meal, Jen and I will be adulting and talking about non-toddler type of things, and in the corner of our eyes, we can see Arlo starting to get mad. And then we can see her start muttering stuff under her breath. And if we don't change the topic to something that she likes, so that mutter will start gaining momentum like a snowball rolling down a hill. And then she'll yell out, Mommy, Daddy, stop talking. And then we have to obey because she's the boss. Uh, and when God speaks, sometimes he does do that. But most of the time, he doesn't. He often speaks to us in subtle and surprising ways. Ways that make us go, wait, uh, was that God? Now, in Daniel chapter 2, we're told that God speaks through a dream. Now, dreams are really weird because they're a blend of reality and fantasy. And even this past week, my mom told me this weird, disturbing dream she had in this room. I'm in my mom's room, actually. Um, she said that she dreamt she was awake at 4.30 in the morning, reading news about the coronavirus, and then when she looked out at her carpet, all of the fabric from the carpet turned into like larva that was wriggling on the floor. 
So if you have an interpretation, please uh, email me and let me know what that means. But dreams are super strange because they straddle the line between the real world and another one. Now, in verse 1 of this chapter, we're told that Nebuchadnezzar has a similar dream and it troubles him. And later on, we find out that it's actually God who's speaking to him through his dream. Now, when you look throughout the Bible, you find that God often speaks in surprising ways. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke through to the prophet Balaam through his donkey. He spoke to Saul with a flash of light and told him, you will become an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, God speaks to us in mysterious ways because he's making a point about the type of insight he's about to provide. And the point is this. His wisdom is from above. His wisdom comes from above. It comes from a heavenly place. It's not something that you can find or can be deduced from facts or uncovered with human tools. It's less like a rock that we can find in the dirt by digging and more like an asteroid from outer space that lands in our backyard. And this is a point that the characters in Daniel 2 make many times. When King Nebuchadnezzar first makes his demands that he wants his wise men to tell him the dream and its interpretation, they say, there is not a person on earth who can do this. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. When Daniel first meets with the king and tries to tell him the interpretation, he repeats this in verse 27. He says, no wise men can show the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. And my favorite, when Daniel first receives the interpretation, he says in verse 22, God knows what is in the darkness. God knows what is in the darkness. God speaks to us through dreams and other surprising ways because his wisdom is beyond human wisdom. But what does God actually say? What does he actually do? And what message does he convey through these dreams? In the book of Daniel, when God speaks, he gives us insight into what's going to happen next. Now, when I was younger, my favorite TV show was MacGyver, and he fought evil with science and math. So as a studious young Asian man, he was obviously my hero. And this show was an hour long. And like most shows of that era, it had a beginning, middle, and end, meaning they could wrap up an entire story in one hour. But once in a while, maybe once a season, a show would end with the words, to be continued, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh no, MacGyver and Murdoch are going to go at it. And the whole week I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Now, you know, entertainment has taken advantage of this and they got the long form story. But back then, this was a rare event. And the whole week I was like, oh, what's going to happen next? Now, throughout my life, this question, what's going to happen next, has popped up like an unwelcome sty, waiting to hear back from colleges as a high school senior, getting ready to ask Jenna and wondering what she was going to say. She said yes. Um, waiting for Arla to be born. At those times, I nervously wondered what's going to happen next. And Daniel's in a similar situation. Daniel uh, had been brought over by the king of Babylon. And Babylon had disgraced the Jewish monarchy. They had gotten rid of God's temple. They had taken him hostage, indoctrinated him, and forced him to serve the king who was responsible for all of these destructive acts. And Daniel and the people of Israel, like most people undergoing dramatic change, probably wondered what's going to happen next. And God tells them through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which we hear about in verses 31 to 45. King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a statue, and the head was made of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the midsection of bronze, and the legs of iron. And Daniel reveals that these four medals represent different kingdoms, and the statue as a whole represents the kingdoms of the world. And in verse 31, he summarizes what the statue is like. He describes it as mighty. He describes it as frightening. 
and he describes it as exceeding in brilliance. Now, these are powerful adjectives, and when you think about what worldly power has been able to accomplish over the centuries, perhaps they seem appropriate. You can think about the American and Soviet space programs launching rockets into space until they landed a man on the moon. You can think about Egypt building the pyramids. You can think about Austrian nobles and other petty nobles of Europe commissioning music from Mozart and from Beethoven. Worldly power is capable of producing mighty and brilliant works. But Daniel points out that there is a fatal, fatal flaw with worldly power. In verse 41 and 42, he tells us that the feet are a mixture of iron and clay. They are partly strong, but partly brittle. For all of its power, for all of its brilliance, worldly power rests on a faulty foundation, like the Greek hero Achilles, or a powerful athlete afflicted with crippling gout, or like Derek Zoolander, who cannot turn left. By the end of the vision, we see that all these kingdoms will be crushed by a humble stone that lands on the statue's feet. These precious and industrial metals will be turned to chaff, easily blown away by the wind, and the humble rock that crushed them will grow into a mountain that will fill the earth. This rock is God's everlasting kingdom, populated with his people. It will last forever and be a place marked with humility. It'll be a place marked with heavenly wisdom, and it'll be marked with righteousness. In this passage, in a time of uncertainty, in a time where it feels like the worst is yet to come, in a time where it feels like there's no hope for change, God speaks to Daniel through Nebuchadnezzar's dream and tells him that the most mighty kingdoms on earth will fall and a day is coming where God's rule and reign will be established forever. So what is God saying to us now? How does Daniel chapter 2 apply to our lives at this moment? I think like Daniel and the Israelites uh, during the time of the Babylonian exile, my guess is that the question at the top of our minds is, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen as certain states starts easing up on their restrictions? When's there going to be a vaccine or at least an effective treatment? What's going to happen in the fall? Will there be a second wave? Will the economy ever recover? Or we have more personal questions. If you've been struck with disease, maybe you're thinking, oh, when will I get better? Will I be immune? Uh, maybe you're thinking, what's going to happen to my job? Or what's going to happen to my kid's school in the fall? And when am I going to be able to see my parents again? Or when will all of this be over? Now, there's a few things I wanted to point out about the what's next question as we reflect on Daniel 2 and our current situation. The first thing I wanted to point out is, in trying to answer this question, many people are looking down instead of looking up. Many people are looking down instead of looking up. When you look at the articles that are out there, people are trying to answer the what's next question in regards to the pandemic by looking at three sources. They look to either epidemiological models based off of previous outbreaks and new data. They look to history and events like the 1918 Spanish flu. And they look to countries that were struck earlier than their own. Now, these are excellent resources that can tell us where we've been. They can tell us where we are. But oftentimes, they can become problematic when they suddenly start to convince us that the only way out of this pandemic is through human effort, that our best hope is an economic bailout or effective political action or the power of science. Searching for the answer to what's next only by looking down can lead to us putting our faith in a statue that seems brilliant, that seems powerful, but in reality, it has feet made out of clay. As we long to know what's next, let's not only focus on what people can do, but let's instead keep our hope in God 
and be just as hungry to hear from him as we are to hear from our own experts. The second thing I wanted to point out is I suspect that lurking behind the question, what's going to happen next, is a secret desire. And this is something that was brought out uh, by our brother Mike Chung during one of our prayer meetings a few weeks ago. In the past six weeks, when I've asked myself the question, what's going to happen next? What I've really been asking is, when can my life go back to normal? When can my life go back to normal? And that is a completely understandable um, desire. Life right now is awful. Um, all of us have been inconvenienced by this pandemic. Some of us have suffered or are suffering from the disease. As time passes, a circle of people who are being affected by it is narrowing in on us like an enveloping fog. But if after six weeks of this thing, our biggest desire is that life can just go back to the way it was, then we are settling for too little. We are settling for too little. As many people have started to know, this pandemic has exacerbated fundamental flaws and injustices that have existed within our society, like an ice cube on a cracked tooth. This pandemic has shown us that our feet too are made out of clay. Now, I'm sure that when Daniel first got to Babylon, he wished that things would just go back to normal, that he could be in Jerusalem worshiping at the temple, that he could enjoy meals with his friends, that he could sleep at night knowing that the communal pillars he thought were always going to be there were still standing. But the vision in Daniel 2 shows him that God's plan is not just for things to go back to normal. His plan is to give us something even better than what we had before. The rock that destroys the statue is not the kingdom of Judah. It's not the kingdom of Israel. It is not Jehoiakim. It's not even David. It is Jesus and those who worship him have something more valuable than those who came before them. Christ does not just offer us justice, but he gives us mercy and grace. He doesn't just give us healing. He gives us resurrection power and raises people from the dead. The hope he gives is not like a balloon with a tiny hole in it that looks good for now, but one day will deflate. He gives us hope like a rock that is solid and sturdy, one that will fill the whole earth and endure forever. What's going to happen next? I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. I don't know all of the specifics, but here are some of the things that we can say. The Bible promises that the trials that we're going through are temporary, that one day they will end. And that is true for this pandemic as well. One day, this shelter in place thing will end. And when that happens, we'll be able to gather together and worship God. We'll be able to hear each other sing. We'll be able to pray face to face. And Psalm 147 gives us a glimpse of this. It reads, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. God speaks and he tells us that one day he will bring an end to all of the trials that we face and he'll establish a kingdom for his saints. It's a kingdom filled with wisdom. It's a kingdom filled with humility. It's a kingdom filled with singing and rejoicing. And it's a kingdom that will not end. As we close, I just wanted you to seek out God's voice. Seek out God's voice. Of course, spend time reading the Bible and spend time feeding your souls with living hope. But also pay attention to what's going on around you. Maybe God is speaking to you through the family members that you're stuck in the house with. Maybe God is speaking to you through your children. The other day at breakfast, Jen and I were adulting again, and I, hit, I caught Arlo singing this song, and she sang, It's gonna be all right, 
it's gonna be all right. <laughs> and I thought maybe God was speaking through her, telling us that everything was gonna be all right. Maybe God is speaking through your children, and maybe God will speak to you in your dreams. Let's pray.